I appreciate my son letting me borrow this this morning. Does anybody know what this is? Clearly, you all are not nerds. Um, this is a phaser from the show Star Trek. And security team, don't worry, I've got it set on stun. Um, now, in our home, um, in our home, we have a lot of discussions about what is true and what isn't true. Because my son Skylar loves Star Wars and Star Trek and all those sort of things. And, and so we have a, every once in a while, I, I wanna make sure that, most of you will just think this is being a bad parent, but every once in a while, I just wanna make sure that we're kind of, that we're living in truth. And I'll say, no, you know that's not really a phaser. And he'll say, well, yes it is. I'll say, well, no, no, it's, it's really, there's no such thing as a phaser. Yes, there is. Captain Kirk has it. They said, well, Captain Kirk is an actor, and, and, and there's a moment where we kind of go in a circle about what the truth is. Now, why would I be talking about what's the truth this morning? Well, we live in a time where there's a lot of competing messages we live in a time where many of us are tired and exhausted and at kind of the end of ourselves. And, and that's very similar to what, what John is saying in 1 John as he talks about, um, about testing the spirit of things to see whether they're true or not. It's a funny time. There was a time when if you went to seminary or if you went to college, what you were looking for was information. What would happen is they would have the information and you'd come to the class and and, and, a, and a kind of a talking head would stand up there and say, here are the eight things you need to know, here are the 10 things you need to know, because information was the commodity, and they were giving you information. Well, today, information is no longer the commodity. Uh, you can get information on your phone. As a matter of fact, the, your phone has, is a more powerful computer than what they use on board of the Apollo missions. And so the amount of information that's available today is amazing. So what are we teaching the seminaries? What are we teaching here? Well, there's some information that's needed, but mostly what we need to teach is discernment. Discernment is the idea of how do I know, how do I know what, whether this information is trustworthy or not? How do I know if I can trust this information? How do I, how do I know I can live by this? How do I know I can bet my life on this? You know, we get so much of our information on the internet site. So last night I was Googling just for an example of, 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 of something in the internet that people believe that isn't true. Well, you, you put that in Google and you'll have like page after page. But my favorite was a moment where it, it was listing a quote, and here's the quote. You can't trust everything you see on the internet. Abraham Lincoln. And I thought, chances are Abraham Lincoln didn't say that. Or maybe he did, and there's a conspiracy. Well, when you're exhausted, and you've come to the end of yourself, when you feel like, what do I do next? What do I trust in these times that are so difficult and odd? Well, I think you're gonna find in this passage just a very helpful, very helpful things for us to think about in terms of how we 
discern what is true. Now, before we talk about God and before we look at his word, let's talk to him. Let's pray together. Dear Father, you are, you are truth. Jesus, your son, even said he's the way, the truth, and the life. So, Father, if you would transform us because we were here this morning, we don't need more information. We need to know why we don't do what we know. We need to know what about all that information is true and what isn't. So, Father, this morning... This morning, would you, as you meet us here this morning, please change us. Father, we are far too comfortable, so disrupt us. We're also very disrupted, please comfort us. And we live lives smaller than you've invited us to, and so use this time also to equip us for your glorious purposes in Christ. We give you this time and ask you to change us. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus, amen. The passage we're gonna look at today is found in 1 John. This is a great series Seth has been going through in the, in the book of 1 John. Um, I'm in the, this, today the text starts in chapter four and we go through six verses. And it's, it's got some of the, some of the richest, most interesting things you, you, that, that I think you'll find in the, in, at least in 1 John, but maybe even the entire New Testament. And so, let's take a look. I'm gonna read from the ESV, and it says this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. It's the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is already in the world. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They're from this world and therefore they speak from the world and the world doesn't listen to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not of God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Now, if you'll, if you'll stay with me, just kind of three sections I'd like us to just think together about. First, I want us to see a, a, a serious concern. Second, a standard for testing. And third, a strength that encourages. We're gonna look at those three ideas within the context of this passage. And, um, and so, let's, let's go to work. The first is the idea of a a serious threat or a significant issue. And that's false teaching. Now, I, I realize when you read the New Testament, sometimes you wanna just say, okay, we get it. 
There's incredible propensity for false teaching. We, we get it. Because it's on every other page in the New Testament, you are, are reminded of that false teaching could take place. And that's because false teaching can come from outside the church. But more often than not, especially the more hideous type of false teaching comes from within the church. And so, there's a stern warning or a stern concern in this passage that tells you false teaching is already out there. Um, we said the Antichrist has already come. Antichrist, is, in this context, is talking about people against the message of Christ. And so, what he's saying is that there is an incredible propensity to false teaching. And, and, it, and false teaching, what you believe absolutely will determine how you live. What you believe about God, when, you're, when there's nothing left in you and you've come to the end of yourself, how you think God sees you at that moment, how you see God and how you see yourself will determine pretty much whether you, what you do next. And so what you believe matters. And so the first thing in this passage I want you to note is that John is concerned. John is, um, is very concerned that you and I might be deceived by false teaching, by heresy, by antichrist, by people who don't. And so he warns you. He says, and by the way, just a side note, don't you like the way John talks to people? Beloved my children. I even like the way he talks about himself in his gospel. You know, John, John, John doesn't, re, you know how John refers to himself in the gospel of John? When he's telling Jesus's biography from his perspective, what he says is, I mean, we all know it's him, but, but he'll say, and the disciple that Jesus loved. I mean, he, he, tells, he tells the story from a perspective of someone who's deeply loved. Oh, if only we could live our lives as people who knew we were deeply loved and treasured by our God, instead of living as a victim or as a hero or anything else. I just love the way John seems to understand who he is in Christ, who Christ is, and, and then the graciousness that he talks to believers. My children, my beloved. I mean, I just love that. That's not part of the text. It just is a side note that you just stumble over as you, as you read the text. So, John, even though he's saying nice things about the beloved and he is warning them that, that they need to not believe everything they hear. And not just don't believe it, but test it. And that includes me. That includes Seth. That includes everyone who, who teaches and preaches the word of God. You should always be judging the things you hear from the test that John's gonna give you in just a few months. Does that make sense? So the first thing is you look at this text, there's a, there's a serious warning, a serious concern about false teaching and an idea that you're supposed to test the spirits. Well, how do you test the spirits? There are two there are two things given in this text between chapter, verse one and verse six to tell you how to test the spirit. To help, how do you see the difference between error 
The spirit of error or the spirit of truth? Well, let's look at those. The first one. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God. Um, this is a spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is now in the world already. So what's the first test? By the way, this doesn't just mean intellectual assent. Because we know, like, if you go back into to Mark 1, uh, verses 23 through 24, you'll see Jesus dealing with somebody uh, who had, was possessed with demons. And, and immediately, there was in the synagogue a man who with unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you not come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So the demons can give intellectual assent to that phrase. But that's not what the idea of confess means here. Uh, when, it, when it says that I'm supposed to um, confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God, that means that you need to, you wanna test the spirit of what someone thinks of Jesus Christ. Really, this is talking about the incarnation, one of the most beautiful theological truths of the world. Remember where it says, and the word, Jesus, becomes flesh and dwells among us. So what does it mean to confess that Jesus came in bodily form? What does it mean, to, to, what does it mean for us to confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God? That means that for you and I, and anybody who's speaking, they are to be speaking from the perspective of that Jesus is the incarnate God who came to this earth, that he's 100% man and 100% God, that his substitutional death and resurrection uh, was, was the way that our sin problem was dealt with. That's, the, that's what it means for Jesus to believe and confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. It means that you believe the truth of the incarnation and the purpose of God coming, that he's fully human and fully man, and he had to be both of those in order to fulfill the requirement needed to pay for our sin. And that's how someone sees Jesus is your first litmus test of whether or not you believe what they have to say. Most heresy comes from a false belief of, of false beliefs about Jesus. He's just a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a, the, gosh, right outside of the ancient city of Ephesus in Turkey, uh, there's, a, there's a mosque, the Jesus Mosque, where Muslims built a mosque and named it after Jesus because they think Jesus was a, you know, was a teacher, a prophet. No, no, here's the test. How does someone see Jesus? Does they, do they see them as a, a God who came in the flesh, dwelt among us as fully human, fully God, to do the business of God, the, the, the redemptive work in this broken and fallen world? And if someone doesn't believe that, if 10 years from now, I, I hope to still be teaching about Jesus 10 years from now, if 10 years from now, I backpedal on that, I'm a heretic. That is the standard 
that is the first of two standards given in this text, to say, how do I test the spirit? So if someone does, can't confess, and again, confess is not intellectual assent, it is believing and putting oneself in that. If someone cannot confess to a physical Christ coming to this earth to do the work of redemption by God, then I, I, I can discern, I can test their spirits. Oh, we're not supposed to judge. No, we're not. The issue is that we're not supposed to judge. We're just not supposed to judge incorrectly and without first looking at our own lives. You know, Jesus said, Take the log from your own eye before you worry about the splinter in somebody else's. There's a humility that's supposed to come, but that doesn't mean we're not supposed to judge and see what's happened. It says right here, I'm supposed to test the spirit. That's, that's, I need to judge the spirits. I need to see what they're from. So listen closely to how people see Jesus. Theologian would, would say this is their Christology. This is how they believe in Christ. What does someone believe about Christ? That's the first test. What's the second test? Look down in verse six. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not of God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now that's a pretty, if I made that statement, that would be an incredibly arrogant statement, would it not? If you listen to me, then you are seriously, you're intelligent and correct. If you don't listen to me, there's something wrong with you. You would, you would immediately go, I think he's crazy. So how can John say that, and who's the we he's talking about? Well, if you look just in the next chapter, you'll see it talks about the apostle, John being an apostle that has seen and touched and been there. And so when he says we, he's referring to the apostles. We, we, people who listen to us, the apostles, and their teaching, that's the next test. Because they're the people that walked with Jesus and were, they, they were eyewitnesses to Jesus. And they were specially anointed by God to, to, to move the church, to grow the church. Now where would we find the teachings and the writings and the thinkings of apostles. There aren't, there aren't any apostles today. There, none of you are apostles. None of, you know, no, there's, no, there's not any apostles today. So where do I find the thinking, the writing, the teaching of the apostles? It's kind of a rhetorical question. <laughs> I'll ask again, and this time, you know, just kind of act like you know, I realize it's a little chilly in here, and maybe the, the first service we had to pull people out with, with uh, you know, with frostbite, but um, it's gotten a little warmer. But, um, so, but stay with me here. I, when I ask a rhetorical question, even in a cold room, there should be some sense of, oh, Lord, we know the answer to that. So where do we find the writings and the teachings of the apostles today? Well, you're right, in the Word. The, the, the Bible... The Bible is the, I mean, you can just change this because, I mean, if you want to move from we, we are from God, the apostles, the Bible is from God, the writings of the apostles are from God, whoever knows God listens to the Bible. 
listens to the teachings of the us, which was the apostles. Whoever is not of God does not listen to the teaching of the apostles of the Bible. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, John starts this by saying there are false prophets. You're gonna deal with false prophets. They're around you. But you, you need to not believe everything you hear and test the spirits. And how you test the spirits, first, see how they think and talk and speak of Jesus. Do they believe in the incarnational reality of a, of a living of a God who came to this earth as a man and lived as a man and as a God. And then second, what they're saying is it backed up by the writings of the apostles, which would be the Bible. And so I have two ways that I can, (coughs) excuse me, Um, I've got two ways that I can measure, that I can test the spirit. I can test the the false teaching that's out there. What did they say about Christ? And is it backed up in the word of God? And I've got two pockets that I can look at anything that's taught to me, any preacher, any teacher, any idea, any philosophy. I've got two ways to discern whether it comes from the spirit of truth or the spirit of error. Now, that sounds all great until you get to the you and I in it. And then the you and I in it, I just sometimes go, gosh, I, I, I don't know what, I mean, I, I, how do I really test spirits? And I don't, have, I don't have what it takes. I'm just exhausted. I'm just trying to get from the hospital I'm born into the hospital I die in without a lot of trouble. Is there a way to do that? Um, I don't have a lot left in me. And, and now I've got to figure all this out. I don't feel very equipped. You ever feel that way? You ever just tired? It's not that you don't believe. You still believe. It's, you still know that, that it, it's true. And, and you still could kind of go by these guidelines. You, you go by what the apostles teach in the Bible. And you, you've got a sound sense of who Christ is, but you're just done, tired. You just don't have much left in the tank. And you think, if there's a much more required, I don't, I don't know that I've got what it takes. Boy, is there good news in this passage for you and I? Because I sometimes feel exhausted. Let me tell you two quick stories, then we're going to get to the text, and, 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 and I think it's going to be really encouraging to you. I took a group of students to Thailand when I was at RTS as a professor, and we, uh, we worked with missionaries, and, and they took us, they took us, that's, a, a, that's Greek, where they took us, they took us to, a, uh, to an elephant range, and, and we rode elephants. Elephants are these majestic, huge animals that, but it's amazing. On this elephant was this little 14-year-old boy with a little stick. And he was poking at the thing and the 
the elephant would go wherever it wanted. Then when they wanted the elephants to stop, they would hook a little chain around their leg. And it was kind of crazy because that chain, that chain wouldn't hold a bicycle, let alone an elephant. And the elephants just sat there until the little 14-year-old boy got back on there and started hitting it with a stick. And then it would walk around and, and do so. They even had an elephant draw a painting. It wasn't very good, but I'm just saying it was a painting. And, and I remember saying, what, how do you control these animals like this? And they said, well, when they were young, when they'd put that chain around their leg, and, and at that time, the chain could control them, and they couldn't break it. And so they just stayed. As they got older, they didn't test it. And so they just stayed where they were supposed to by a little chain that couldn't hold a bicycle. Hmm. And every once in a while, one of them would get angry or something and they'd break a chain and go running off and stomp, stampede over people and, and you'd go, gee, why did we come here? Um, but all these elephants were controlled by a chain. You're controlled by chains. You, you came from a bad family. Maybe you were abused as a kid. That's like putting a chain around you. You have a message from growing up. You'll never amount to anything. You don't have what it takes. Who do you think you are? You're not fooling anybody, Cofield. And that chain holds you. And you wonder, I just don't have the strength to change I don't have the strength to be different. I don't have the strength to get up anymore. I'm just tired. I felt that way this last couple of weeks. One last story, and then we're going to look at this text, and I think, I think it'll be so encouraging for you. Now, a lot of you have gone over to the zoo, the Knoxville Zoo, and the Knoxville Zoo is kind of a nice zoo now. But at one point, that was not the case. Um, if you're my age or older, you may have gone to the zoo back then. And it was one step above kind of a really dirty pet store. Um, and, and I remember, I remember going over to the zoo and there was a, a cage about the size of the stage. There was a huge sign on it that said, American, I mean, African lion, king of the jungle. And then laid there in the dirt, and, and the picture on that was just this majestic lion with its mane flowing in the wind and just, you know, with the sense that, wow, that's, that's the king of the jungle. And then you look down and you see this tired, mane was matted, junior high kids are throwing straws at it. This little, this lion full-grown adult lion just laying there in the dirt. Hadn't roared in years. And you just think, maybe one day, maybe a, a rabbit will go through there or something, and he'll roar and he'll realize, there's more to me than just laying in the dirt, waiting to be made fun of and hoping somebody will feed me. So I tell you those two stories. Because in the middle of our fears, 
in the middle of our struggles, we all want to know that there's something bigger than us that we could count on that would give us strength to go beyond what we have the capacity to do. Because most of us have lived part of our lives beyond our own capacities. And so John, in the middle of this passage, I guess thinking that we're probably gonna struggle with thinking we could really discern truth or not, but he stops in the middle of it and gives us a perspective that I don't want you to miss. Let me read it to you. Little children. I like the way he talks to people. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Overcome what? The Antichrist, the false teachers. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They're from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Little children, you, Christ's covenant, Christ's covenant church, listen to me. You are from God. He's chosen you, and he lives in you. And the one who lives in you, Christ's covenant, is greater than what's in this world. Did you get a sense that your tired lion is being asked to roar because ultimately that roar doesn't come from you anyway, it comes from him? Do you get the sense that maybe God is saying, because I'm in you, because I'm in you, I'm greater than what you're facing. Because I'm in you, I'm greater than the chains that were put on you. And you, I can break chains that never were meant to hold an image bearer of God down. Oh, church, hear the word of God spoken to us today. He who is in you That's Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit. He who is in you. Remember, you belong to God. He who is in you, and I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. Gosh, this very week I thought, gosh, we don't have the capacity to keep going. And God says, oh no. You don't have the capacity to keep going but I do because I live in you and I have overcome this world and I'm greater than what's trying to hold you down. Now, if that doesn't turn you on, you don't have switches. Because that's hope. My hope's not in me. My hope's not in my toughness or my smartness or my, I don't think smartness is a word, but... My, my hope is found in the one who's in me, who chose me, because I belong to him, and he overcomes the world. Be real careful if you're around Christians who talk too much about being attacked by Satan. 
Yes, there is an enemy to your story. Satan is real. But Satan is not just a little bit weaker than God. Satan is God's lackey. God of the universe is, is powerful. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Well, I almost want to just keep reading that over and over and over until I believe it and you believe it. But ultimately, it's up to God to have us believe. We can't hustle things up. He does. So remember in this passage, there's a real danger of false teaching. And you're supposed to not believe everything you hear and test it. And there's real simple ways to test it. What is that, what is that philosophy, that person, that church, that teaching say about Jesus? And do they follow the teachings of the apostles or, or, or the word of God, the Bible? And if they don't do those things, then, then they're not giving you truth. And lastly, don't forget it. Don't ever forget it. That what gives you the power to stand up to falsehood is not your intellect, but you belong to God. He lives in you, and he who is in you is greater than anything in the world. Let's pray.